0: Street, that had seemed like a decent plan. But Rick needed a place to live, at least until he found another job, got back on his feet. Two months ago, he'd been the executive editor of Back Bay, a glossy magazine devoted to the rich and the famous in Boston, the movers and shakers. It had just enough slavish coverage of celebrity chefs and posh weddings and best bartenders to ensure a nice fat magazine. And just the right dash of snark—a knife-edge balance, really—to hook covetous and aspirational readers who considered themselves smart and sophisticated, but actually weren't. Seven or eight years ago, a local private equity maestro named Morton Ostro took over the joint— infusing Back Bay with cash, made it slicker and glossier, a rich man's plaything. He ushered in a golden age of big salaries and almost unlimited expense accounts. You had to spend money to make money, he liked to say. He moved the magazine's offices from a cramped but elegant red-brick townhouse on Arlington Street in the Back Bay to a converted mill building on Harrison Avenue, in the newly desirable artist-infested Sowa district in the South End. Brick and bean, huge 19th-century industrial windows, and polished concrete floors. Parties at dark bunker-like clubs no one could get into, sponsored by Kettle One or Stoli Elite. Rick, who'd rented the movie All the President's Men at an impressionable age and had been obsessed with it, had always wanted to be Woodward or Bernstein, an intrepid reporter who specialized in ferreting out high-level government fraud and conspiracy. He went to work for the Boston Globe in the metro section and got a lot of attention for an expose he did on private for-profit prisons. He did an article about corruption in the city's taxi business and a series on how easy it was to get out of drunk driving charges in the state. He might, he told himself, have been on the upward trajectory toward Woodward and Bernsteinism if he hadn't met Mort Ostro at a book party in Cambridge. Ostro, a short, squat frog of a man, liked Rick right away. He was hired away from the Globe at a ridiculous salary to beef up Back Bay's coverage of the power elite, scandals at Harvard, intrigue at the State House, gossip among the pashas of the hedge funds. He was given license to puncture and skewer. He acquired a big apartment on Beacon Street and a beautiful blonde girlfriend to go with it. He and Holly went out to parties or dinner almost nightly. He could get a table at the tiniest, most exclusive restaurant, the kind that's booked months in advance. Not years, this was Boston, after all, at half an hour's notice. When he wore suits, they were made by Ostro's tailor, Working buttonholes on the cuffs, Super 130s, fully canvassed. At the friends and family rate. He had a weekly breakfast with Mort Ostro at Mort's regular table at the Bristol Lounge at the Four Seasons. While it lasted, it was a pretty nice life. The space heater buzzed and snarled. He heard something scurrying somewhere within the walls nearby. A soft commotion. A rodent scrabbling. Mice, rats, squirrels. Anything could have gotten in through the chimneys or vents in the long years the house had stood unoccupied. Rodents or birds could be living in the walls. He got up from the couch, listened in silence for a moment, heard the muted scrabbling sound from inside the study's back wall, then slammed the wall with his fist. There was a great crash as one of the bookcases toppled, hurtling its contents to the floor, its glass front shattering. "'Shit,' he said. At least the scrabbling sound had stopped. Broken glass was scattered everywhere, jagged shards twinkling in the morning light. Red-bound volumes of the Massachusetts law reporter were arrayed on the floor. Rick's father, Leonard, had been an attorney— a solo practitioner whose clientele included some sketchy characters, strippers, porn purveyors, club owners. He'd rented an office on Washington Street in downtown Boston. But he'd always kept a duplicate set of his law books in his home...